10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, the time is 1pm on Sunday the 20th of February and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, it's Pastoral CPD Clinic 6 and it's also my Teachers Talk Radio anniversary. Today we're talking about the phrase unmet needs and what it means for teachers. Later on, we'll be talking about the most challenging types of parents and how to deal with them. Half time is over for a lot of us, it's a sad day, but the show must go on. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon. If you're listening live via Podbean or if you're listening live um, on a laptop or a desktop or if you're listening via i don't even know what the other means are these days if you're listening back on on spotify welcome 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 and thank you this is the sunday lunch show with yours truly my name is khalil rouse and i've been a host of the show for a while and this is a very very special day it's a special day thinking purely self selfishly self-interestedly that's not even a word but it's been exactly a year exactly to the date it's a year since i had my first teachers talk radio shows this is a big occasion for me it means nothing for the show. It means absolutely nothing for what's going to happen today. I, I did have a thought about it. I was thinking, what can I do for an anniversary um, when no one else cares that it's your anniversary? Um, and the answer was nothing, nothing in particular. So I'm not going to do anything particularly special for it. Uh, we're just the show must go on. The show must go on. I wasn't on last week. I took a little break for half term. Um, and now half term is over. And just like that, every time I, f- I feel like I see people on Twitter saying the same thing, that they've they had a lot of work to do before the half term. They didn't do it, and then they get to end the half term, and most are just accepting. Most just kind of accepting of it. Some start tweeting their regrets um, and say they've got a lot to do. But uh, you just got to make your choices, haven't you? And you got to live with them. And uh, I'm an advocate of making choices and prioritizing what you think is most important. And over the holiday, I'm the kind of person that definitely prioritizes time with my my family, my loved ones, because I know that during the term time, during the working week, often. They end up taking more of a backseat because I'm working most of the time. So I owe it to them and I owe it to myself. So everyone makes their own choices. Welcome, people in the studio. Nicholas, I see you. Thank you for joining. Um, anyone else that's listening via by the desktop? I know there's some secret desktop listeners. Um, and if it's your first time listening to Teacher Talk Radio, thank you. If not, then welcome back. But this is Talk Radio. It's a Sunday lunch show with myself, Khalil Rouse. As I said in the intro, and as always, I will re- I'll go back over the intro later on when the room starts filling up a little bit thinking purely optimistically welcome i see m tenny welcome thank you for joining me um this is a sunday lunch show we're going to eventually talk about the phrase unmet needs and i put it in inverted commas because i want to and it's a phrase that's just cropped up just cropped up i don't think it existed or we never really spoke about it maybe it was just a, a repackaged thing from a while ago i'll talk i'll get into it later on so that's going and then we're also later going to talk about challenging parents as well but for the first little bit, I like to sometimes go back through what I've been talking about this week. Because it's always quite interesting when you scroll back through your own Twitter. Just to see what took your what took your fancy earlier in the week. And especially because I've not been on this show for a little while. I do wonder what I've been talking about. And when you scroll through your Twitter, I, I advise you to do it. Because you start to see a random, your random train of thought. 
um, through the Twitter sphere. Um, and what I'm, one thing that's on my mind at the moment is I've got a little one and my little one's favourite word at the moment is no. And half of me thinks he has no idea what it means, but he also just uses it all the time um, in response to anything. You'll, you'll ask him if he wants breakfast, he'll tell you no. And then you'll say, okay, but it's breakfast time, no. So we'll go and play the toys then, no. Okay, so it's breakfast time. We can have Weetabix, we can have ready break. He says no. <laughs> he has more words in his in his kind of vocabulary, but no is his favorite word at the moment, definitely. Um, and that I find that very, very interesting. And I thank, I'm very thankful. I don't know about you guys, if you're listening back, if you've got young kids, I'm very grateful that I've developed a lot of patience working with school kids. Um, yeah, so I'm able to just block a lot of things out just not even respond sometimes when he's doing things he shouldn't be doing. If he's like, I don't know, saying no or kicking things or headbutting or being a bit defiant. He's a toddler, so that he's going through that phase. And I'm able to just block it all out and just stay calm. Welcome people that come into studio. Christian, I'll see you. I know you've been in here before. I recognize the name, so welcome back. Thank you for joining me. Um, we haven't got into the main body of the show yet. Currently, I'm just talking about my little one. So if you have a little one and they're a toddler, let me know what phase they're going through, because mine is going through. He's not two yet, but I think we're in the kind of inverted commas, terrible twos phase um, with with some tantrums and some kicking, and he starts to headbutting off the sofa and random stuff. And I just look at him like, bro, I, I don't know where you think you're getting with this. Um, and hopefully he'll he'll grow out of it at some point. And I know they will. And it's a natural, natural thing. Um, in other news, scrolling through what I kind of spoke about. Oh, my word. I've just seen it. Let me let me just pause on this. Inflation. And a third was it a 30 year rise, a 30 year high of five point five percent inflation. And if you want to cry, I advise you at some point to go on the net. And look at, if you're a teacher and want to cry, that is, go on the net and type in teacher's salary um, if, I don't know how to even phrase it, if it moved in line with inflation. Have a look at that. Because when you look at that, you will shed a couple of tears because then you realise that the salary you're on is, is just, we're way behind. We are way, way, way behind inflation. And it's, just, it's well, it's, it's depressing sometimes. Um, it's depressing. 5.5% and we had what? Our, our wages are actually frozen this last academic year, which again is crazy, but what is the answer? Politics? Is that the answer? Or do you just have to deal with it? I don't know, but let me know what you think about it. But yeah, that I've just, I was tweeting about the inflation a little while ago because it made the headlines 30 year high, 5.5%. We know we've got this kind of cost of living crisis, energy bills going up. My partner and I keep, well, she keeps talking about it. I try to block it out if I'm honest. <laughs> she keeps talking about the likelihood of our energy bills soaring. And it's, it's depressing times, depressing times. And I tweet that the private sector just laughing. They get their bonuses and they work in issues that make money. Every now and again, you do take a step back and think, mm. I know I got into teaching for kind of the right reasons, but at the same time, it would be nice to just have a lot more money, wouldn't it? It just would, it would, it would, it would. Because at the moment we're taking significant kind of real-term pay cuts every time inflation rises and our pay stays the same. Uh, that's all I'm speaking about as well. Uh, what else are I talking about this week? What else is even going on? Oh, my word. What have we got? Wordle, Nerdle, Hexordle, Octordle, Secordle, Nerdle, Worldle. It's completely, it's gone insane. The kind of the world of online, I don't even know what to call it, online puzzle games, letter games, number games has gone absolutely insane. Um, I tweeted facetiously that who was going to help me create a website called Hexordle and Octordle. I had about 10 
different web designers in my DMs saying, hi, hey, 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 I'm a web designer. I can do it for you. Hey, I'm a web designer. I can do it for you. Hey, 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 let me know. I can do it for you. I'll sort you out. Um, and then about three days later, the actual websites entitled Hexordle and Octordle came to fruition or they came to my attention, which is cra- like is crazy. The world of online quizzes is inc- it's going, it's popping off be- ever since the guy got, what, 10 million stacks, 10 million um, to the New York Times. Everyone just wants a piece of the cake. But making just more wordles isn't the answer, I don't think. Because who's going to, why would you, I don't know. Hexordle, Octordle just, just sounds ridiculous. Karen, I see you. Welcome. You said you're going to be in. I'm glad you're here. Nice to see you as always. Um, what else are I talking about this week? What was going on this week? I don't know. Do you know what? I don't know enough. I don't I don't watch enough news, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. And I know there's stuff going on, obviously a lot of stuff, serious stuff going on with Russia and Ukraine. Um and I'm hearing talk, of course, of kind of like World War Three, and Boris is saying it's going to be the if Russia, if Russia actually go ahead with their invasion, then it could be the biggest war since 1945. That sounds mad. I just can't even fathom what it even means. What, what's it even like to live when a war is going on? I don't know. What would it mean for us? I don't know. I don't watch. I don't watch. Admittedly, I don't watch enough news about those kind of things. So I don't know what's going on with with kind of Russia and Ukraine and everything. Welcome, Nathan. Nice to see you. Um, but anyone that is in the know. Where we at? Is it World War Three territory? And what does that even mean in 2022? What does a world war mean in 2022? Because there isn't going to be like conscription. They're not going to knock on your door and say, right, we need, we need you to the, come to the front line. So what does it mean? What are the implications? I genuinely do not know. It is not an area of any kind of expertise for me at all. Um, what else happened? Oh, Storm Eunice, which one of my friends compared to a Caribbean grandmother. And we've also got Storm Franklin, apparently, that's happening today or tomorrow or something in in northern ireland no idea but storm Eunice. let me know how you found storm Eunice. me personally i stayed indoors the whole time um the, the i only ventured outside to go and get my shopping from a click and collect that was interesting it was interesting it was a little bit blustery but i saw videos i don't know if you guys saw those videos of people being blown away in south london um or croydon more specifically very funny i advise to check it out i think it's on you'll find it on the internet somewhere so storm Eunice, we had what else has happened this week? What else are I talking about? Ah, I tried to mix up my um my reading to my young little one. Hey, hi, Dr. Jed. Nice to see you. We're going to get into main body of the show in a moment. I've got enough people in the room in a moment. But my son is a keen. He likes to read or be read too. And there's me, my, my background, if you can't tell me, I'm a black man. My, ba- <laughs> my background is, is I'm Caribbean. Caribritish, I like to call it. My, I've got Caribbean heritage. And I thought, you know what, let me mix it up. Let me read out this book. And this has got a book called, I don't know, it's, it's a deadest book. It's called Spot Goes to the Park. Um, and all it says is something like, oh, where are you going, Spot? And then he goes, oh, I'm off to the park. And then he goes, oh, where's my ball? Like, it's an awful, awful book. So what I decided to do was I mixed it up. And instead of doing it in my actual British accent, I mixed up and I did a kind of Jamaican sign accent. Um, and it didn't, it didn't, let me just tell you, it did not go down well, despite the fact that I thought my accent was actually on point. And the problem is I haven't got the book in front of me for me to be able to read it. And I'm not going to do a rendition for the airwaves, but let's just say my accent's all right. If you've seen Rasta Mouse, then you can imagine that's kind of what it's like. So I'm not, listen, I wasn't born in Jamaica. I'm not going to act like I've got the most authentic Jamaican accent, but I can do a little something. But my son said, no, thank you. Closed the book and walked off. He was not about it. He was not interested at all. But we will persevere because he needs to understand. He needs to understand his heritage and his culture. Um, needs to understand his heritage and his culture. 
Cool. What else are I talking about this week? I don't even know anymore. What, what happened most recently? Is that it? That's what I was thinking. Oh, and I'm watching Bel Air. This is the last thing I want to talk about. I wonder if any of you guys are watching Bel Air. Because I started off, I'm up to speed on Bel Air. I wonder if you guys are watching Bel Air. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the remake of The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, there's been a lot of kind of to and fro and back and forth about whether it's going to be good or not, whether it's going to be like the original or not. Um, I'm a fan, personally. Um, I've watched the four, first four episodes. It's nothing like the original, nothing at all. And if you want it to be like the original, then don't watch it. And if you can, I use the, I tweeted that you need to be able to compartmentalize the two. The original was lighthearted. It was funny. It was there for purely entertainment from the comedic side. This is a bit more gritty, a bit more hard hitting, a bit more dark at times. There's some undercut. Yeah, there's some undercurrents of, it looked just a little bit gritty is the word I'd use. And I enjoy it. My partner doesn't, um, but it's up there. Cool. That's one thing I know. seen Karen said, I've heard good things about Bel Air. Maybe, yeah, I recommend it personally. I think give it a go. Give it a go. And that's it. That's kind of me recapping my week. And the worst thing about it is I'm going back to school. I wonder if you guys are all going back to school tomorrow. I think Nathan, of course I take calls, Dr. Jed. I should have said, Dr. Jed, this is a live talk show. I got carried away talking about my own Twitter. Dr. Jed is going to call him. Welcome, Dr. Jed. I love a live caller. No, I did not see this uh, new show called Bel Air yet, okay. but I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, no, please do. Please, where, whereabouts are you from? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to place your accent. Whereabouts are you from? Okay, I am <coughs> Prince George, DC, Prince George, Prince George, British Columbia, Canada. I, I saw someone. Tw- I literally saw a tweet just now about someone talking about Prince George. You know, I think it was is not related to you at all. Um, I think it was something else about. But yeah, I just it's very random. You're from Prince George. I saw someone speaking about Prince George, and I've never heard of Prince George in my life. So you're from Canada. Yes, I am. Wonderful. What do you do? Go on. And where, and where are you? I live in London, the UK. London. Ooh, hey. So then, <laughs> hang on a second. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. You should. You should know a guy named uh, Caps. I should know. What is he? Just a guy from London. Yes, he is. He's on Podbean. Oh, interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know that if they're from London and they're on Podbean, I'd still probably won't know who they are. Well, if you join, <laughs> join in, he's pretty cool. He's awesome. What is he? What? Okay, fair enough. I will check it out. So, what do you do for? If you don't mind me asking, Doctor Jed, what do you do for a living? Are you connected to education in any way? Yeah, I am. Um, care to elaborate? <laughs> Even it says it's called Teachers What Talk or something like that. Talk radio. Yeah, this is Teachers Talk Radio. So this is the platform. That's made so I'm a teacher, and all the people that do the that host on Teach Talk Radio. Say again. What grade do you teach? What grade? Right. So I need to translate this into sec into Canadian speak. So we have secondary school, which I imagine is your high school. Yep, that seems correct. Yeah. So I teach secondary uh, school. So we're secondary. talking. And then we have, so we have high, so we have elementary, secondary, and then we have post secondary. Is that college? Is that 17, 18? University is post-secondary, yeah. So hold on, secondary goes up to 18 or secondary goes up to 16? Like, what do you mean? As, as, so when you said you got post-secondary, does secondary stop at 16 years old or 18 years old? Okay, so the, when you go to high school, it stops at 18. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. But, so in post-secondary, go on. Where I'm from, BC, we go from grade 8 to grade 12, but in Ottawa... They go from grade eight to grade thirteen. I see. The difference uh, means what? Well, what you guys do the same thing there or what? 
we call it year seven. So the first year of secondary is called year seven, and then it goes up to year 13. Right. So do you guys go from grade eight to grade 13 then, or? We go from, if we're going to use grades, and we go from what I'd call grade seven to grade 13. But grade oh. seven would be when they turn which is 11, 12 years old. Grade seven and grade eight. Grade seven and grade eight, that's usually, I call that junior high. Right. Grade seven, eight, and nine, that's junior high. Okay. And then 10, 11, and 12, that's senior high. I see. Fair enough. Okay. And um, you said, when I asked if you, so for your work, do you, do you work in schools or anything like that? Oh, Karen said, like, yeah, it is like a key stage, key stage for essentially. Yeah, I don't work in schools. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. So when, when you think back to how, what, what do you think the education system is like in Canada at the moment? Do you have, are you, do you think it's thriving? How, what's like the kind of respect for teachers over there and that kind of stuff? You know, some days I miss school, like especially high school. Why is that? Because there's like, I miss the teachers. I miss the subjects. I miss, you know, some days I miss it and some days I don't, but, mm. but right now, because this pandemic right now is going on, I definitely miss high school. I hear that. Mate, it would be nice to just go back to a time when you have less responsibilities. I don't know about you, but um, I don't know how, I don't know how old you are, but I, I, that's what I find sometimes. About, you know, getting up and going to work. I just get up and go to school and learn and come home and whatever, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, indeed, indeed. The life, the life for child. Time for work. Just to worry about showing up time for school. <laughs> no, gen no, but your life, that's genuinely it. Life was simpler back then. You didn't have, a, you didn't, there wasn't, there wasn't the same kind of weight of responsibility. But that's adulthood. Then at the same time. <laughs> You can yeah. you can make out of her what you want it to be. Well, I what guess. grade you just... do you teach? Yourself? So I teach. I'm I'm up to. I can teach anyone. I usually teach either kids from eleven up to sixteen years old. So grade. So, so, eight so eleven. So that's elementary, and high school. Yes, early high school, first year high school. So, first year high school. So that's sixteen years old. No. Oh, so <laughs> no. First year secondary school, elementary secondary school. So eleven years old. So, so, so you, your school that you're in has its elementary and a high school in one building? Yeah, yeah, it's all one building. My school's a new school. We've got 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, and 14-year-olds at the moment. But we're growing every year. So we get a new, we get a new year group coming in every year. Because I watched it one time on the show. Is they have a school, it's elementary, junior high, uh, they call it, what do they call it? Junior high, and then high school. Indeed. Fair enough. All in one building. I got fair enough. Yeah, no, we. That's there are some there are some schools like that in the UK, um, but yeah, there's a there's a big variation. You know they should have they should have a school. I don't know if they will or not, but in the world anywhere like you know the UK or Canada or wherever they should have a school where it's where they should have a, an adult if they want and I want to go back to school like to grade school they should have a high school that they'll allow them to go back to grade school. But with with the young kids, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a little bit of a safeguarding risk, but um, a I a say again, a safe a safeguarding risk is what I said. Yeah, I understand that part, but I'm talking about more of like where they where the kids are like not only with the young kids, but more with like kids maybe from ages. 
17 and up, maybe? Okay. So like an adult, yeah, I just think Karen said. So like an, an adult college. They, they do exist, adult colleges. Oh, to go back. An actual, like a high school where you're <laughs> 17 years old and up. So you could have like 30-year-olds in the same place as 17-year-olds. Is that what you mean? Yes, you could say, yeah. So like an... And what... What, so that would just be so they can all learn together. It just seems a bit. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. If I were if I were a seventeen year old, I don't, think, I don't know how comfortable I'd be with in a classroom with thirty year olds. I don't know. To be honest. Well, you know, you can learn from them, right? True. True. You can. You can definitely. Learn. It would be very. It would be interesting. It would be, I don't even know. What I'd even. So it's technically not an adult college because it's not adult only. It will be like a college with. Do we have colleges in the UK that have both? 17, 18 year olds and adults. I don't know if we do. People can let me know in the chat. I don't know. Um, but essentially you're saying a college that has 17, 18 year olds, but is also open to any age or any adult to then come back and learn whatever they want to learn. Yeah, it's still high right now. High school, high school. Say again? High school, high school. You spell high school? How do you spell it? H-I- How do I spell H-I-G-H? H-I-G-H. Why are we why are we spelling high school? Hi. I know. I my head here. Hi. <laughs> Dr. Jed, listen, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You've actually you've you've brightened up my my afternoon. Um you brightened up my afternoon. Thank you very much. Stay in the studio because we're gonna talk about teacher stuff, but I'll be very interested to get your perspective on it. Um but stay in the studio. I'm gonna di- I'm gonna disconnect you now. Oh adult oh right, yeah, adult oh I see you are typing it. Yes, adult. You want an adult high school, like kids go to, but for adults, but for kids (laughs) who are ages seventeen and up. Is this because you? Is this because you missed the kind of collegiate aspect to high school? That's correct. Oh, I see. You just want to have fun and have no responsibilities and just go and learn stuff and then go home, right? Yes, pretty much. If England, (laughs) if England starts that, I'll buy a plane ticket and come to England and go to school. <laughs> and do you know what would be even better if you got paid to go to it? That'd be like the ice. If you could get paid to go to an adult high school yeah, to good. then just learn stuff and go home. Yeah, but I'd rather not go and just get paid to do it. You'd rather, rather not get paid to do it? I would get paid to it, but not get paid at the same time. I'd rather just go and just like be kind of awesome, kind of cool. It does It does sound awesome. It does sound cool. Doctor sure. Jed, listen, you've you brightened you brightened up the afternoon. Thank you very much for for calling in. Um, stay in the studio. We're talking about, like I said, we're going to talk about some teacher stuff in a moment. But thank you for your ideas. And if it, listen, if it ever takes off, then we know where it started. It started on Teacher Talk Radio with Doctor Jed and myself, Kilo Rouse on a Sunday lunch show. If the adult high school ever starts, this is where it, this is the birth of the adult high school. So um, watch this watch this space. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna disconnect you now, Doctor Jed. But thank you very much. Okay. All the best. Adios. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, that yeah. I love, just just go go elsewhere. Go on, go off on a tangent. Why not? Let's get back into the actual main part of the show. Let's let's restart this. Probably got some people in the studio. I got to get some interaction now. Um, let's run it. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon. It is now 1.24 on Sunday, the 20th of February, and you're tuned into the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, it is Pastoral CPD Clinic 6, and it's my Teachers Talk Radio anniversary. 
Today we're going to be talking about unmet needs and what it means for teachers. Later on we'll be talking about the most challenging types of parents and how to deal with them. Half term is over for a lot of us. It's a sad day, but the show must go on. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash LSW slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Right, let's get into it. So, unmet needs. And I feel like the reason this came to my attention, I don't know how it came to my attention. I feel like I, I read a tweet recently and I saw this phrase, unmet needs. And I feel like I've been seeing it in a lot of places on Twitter. And it came from a thread. And I'm going to read out some of the comments in this thread because it's quite entertaining, actually. Um, the thread starts by someone asking the question, will pupils ever be accountable? Then he goes on to say, send a pupil out today to find SLT telling him, look, we know you misbehave because the work is too hard for you. The teacher then says, well, the teacher's explaining that I asked him to write the title. He threw a pen at someone's head and told me to pee off. How is this the work? That was the tweet. That was the original tweet. I could tell when you hear this tweet and you read it, this is a frustrated, <laughs> this is a frustrated teacher who probably has a lot going on. And may have some gripes with the with this with the with the senior leaves everything else. And in response, what kind of sparked my interest in this was someone responded underneath, saying, first of all, they said, I think your statement to him could have induced shame." Pause, 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 pause. I think you haven't read the tweet correctly, because the first time I read this tweet, I thought the teacher had said to the child, "The te I thought the teacher said to the child, "Look, I know you misbehave because the work is too hard for you." And I think this person has said that. I think this person has miss interpreted it as well. So this person replied saying, I think your statement to him could have been could have induced shame. What are his unmet needs? If the work is too hard, then how can this be tackled? I do believe that far too much is asked for teachers, by the way, I can see both sides, blah, -de blah, blah, -de blah. The main tweeter then responded saying no unmet needs exactly what shame being told to pee off by him for doing something they've done since primary. Nothing is too hard because I ask people to do anything. I never ask people to do anything they can't access. I'm so tired of being blamed for this type of behavior. He has no SEM. So, unmet needs. I wonder what you guys' thoughts on this kind of phrase. What's it? I don't, where does it come from? Is my first question. Where does it come from? Because it wasn't around two, three, four years ago. I mean, that phrase in it, that phrase in and of itself was not around. I was talking about it on Twitter myself, and I'm saying, is this just a rebranded version of Maslow's hierarchy? And someone's just coined the phrase unmet needs. Um, I do wonder. And then I go on, and then I did some more kind of delving into Twitter to see what people are talking about when they come to unmet needs. And what it essentially is coming down to is people, often people are saying that bad behavior or misbehavior is communication. And then the debate or the discussion at the moment that I have from my understanding is you have some people that are saying that kind of blanket all behavior is a communication of some sort of, well, is communication. And some go further to say that all behavior is a communication of an unmet need. Yeah. But then other people are saying, what are you on about? Other people are saying, no, 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 no. Sometimes misbehavior is just misbehavior and there isn't an underlying there isn't, an un sometimes there is nothing underlying. Sometimes it's just a kid that wants to mess about. 
nothing underlying, nothing at the core. So I do wonder what you guys think about this and what your perspective on unmet needs even is. Um, because in this thread, it goes on and then someone else responded saying, um, yeah, so then the teacher responded saying, the, the one that replied said, obviously he has some unmet needs, whatever they are, home issues, SEN, whatever. Um, and they're saying, no, you shouldn't be abused because of that, but rarely is anything as simple as disrespect and poor behavior for the sake of it. Let me know what you guys think in your school. Do you still have kids that you believe, all things considered, are just misbehaving or acting poorly for the sake of it? No one, no inverted commas, unmet need, no underlying anything, kid that's maybe bored and just wants to mess about. Because in my opinion, I think that happens. I think it still happens. And um, I don't want to get to a stage, even if the, for someone that works in pastoral, where every behavior we we analyze and think what is the unmet need here for this behavior what's the unmet need here for this behavior because i do think sometimes kids just want to mess about because it's funny genuinely i think back to my schooling i did i was not a massive messer about uh if that's not even a word i didn't mess about largely i was fairly well behaved but when i did muck about it wasn't due to an unmet need it was because i wanted to do something to make my boys laugh that was it um but i do know that in a, in there are in a large proportion of cases, as I've said in a lot of my shows up to now, there are a lot of things under the the kind of tip of the iceberg that explains the behaviour. And I do wonder what the whole point of this unmet need debate is, and I wonder what you guys, your guys' perspective on it is. Is it to just broaden teachers' understanding? If it is, then fine. Um, I've just had a question in the chat. So, Doctor Jed, you're coming back in. What do the kids call me? They call me Mister Rouse because that's my surname, or they call me Sir. Um, in answer to your question. So, in, yeah, they call me Sir or they call me Mr. Rouse. Um, and then, yeah, it goes on. And then someone's responded back in the same thread where someone said, not every behavior is a communication of an unmet need. Of course, there are instances, but sometimes students also need to take responsibility for their poor behavior. Got a lot of likes. I tend to, I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Um, but then if you dislike the subject or you're disengaged is that an unmet need i just don't know when no one even defines these things people just use unmet needs i feel like it's a blanket term and no one narrows it down if you're disengaged with a lesson because you don't like the teacher is that an unmet need is it the need to like the teacher that's not being met therefore misbehavior can be explained i don't know like i'm just throwing ideas out there where does the kind of the acceptable unmet need start not liking a lesson is that an unmet need being disengaged because you had a bad time in the playground just before the lesson. Is that an unmet need? And then you muck about. Yeah, I, I do wonder, I do wonder. And I threw, with that in mind, I did throw a tweet out um, a little while ago. Let me just find it, I've completely lost it now. Where's it gone? Here it is. I threw a tweet out where I did just ask people, um, I just asked what comes to mind. And I do wonder what what is your first thought when you hear this phrase, unmet need what first comes to mind um and i put a, a kind of image below my tweet that has the phrase and let me know what you think about this the phrases or the kind of um the picture says beneath every behavior there is a feeling and beneath every feeling there is a need and when we meet that need rather than focus on the behavior we begin to deal with the cause not the symptom interesting so I'll say it again, beneath every behavior, every behavior, beneath every behavior, there is a feeling. And beneath every feeling, there is a need. 
And when we meet that need, rather than, the fo rather than focus on the behavior, we begin to deal with the cause, not the symptom. So let's analyze this from the perspective of a kid that just wants to mess about for messing about sake. So their, their misbehavior, what's beneath their misbehavior? What feeling is it? A feeling of wanting people to laugh at them and crave attention, maybe? Is there a need to enjoy? Maybe they have a need to just enjoy the lesson, maybe. Maybe they need to laugh. Maybe that's how they get engaged in things, which is fairly human. And then it's saying when we meet that need rather than focus on the behavior. So then what we're saying is if this is the, if this is the child that needs to feel kind of entertained in order to engage, then do we need to therefore make our lessons more entertaining to suit that child? But then the counter argument becomes that's only one child in a class of 29 or 30. So where's the line? Because I imagine there's a lot of kids that have unmet needs in a room but it's a teacher's job to try and teach a whole class of 30 so it's difficult it's like it's this is difficult and people throw around this unmet needs thing um but without any solutions from what i gather and i'm going to read some comments out to the tweet that i posted um because yeah i said in my tweets i said i don't think i've ever heard the phrase unmet need being used in, my, in a school never heard it in person um and i did ask the question whether the the argument of unmet needs becomes less and less appropriate as a child gets older just po just throwing it out there because obviously when you got a child younger who has who lacks communication skills their behavior becomes more of a communication because they don't know how to communicate verbally as they get older and they're actually able to they're more able to communicate verbally does the unmet needs argument lose weight i don't know i'm throwing ideas out someone countered me and said no what about sen and i said ah good point because you can be, if you're 15, 16, 17, 18, but you have some sort of special educational needs or disabilities, if they are not being met and then you act out, that is an appropriate application of the phrase unmet needs. I agree. But are people banding it about for misbehavior kind where a pupil has no kind of underlying educational need, they just want to muck about? Does the whole, but have you, have you tailored to their unmet needs? Does that water down the debate? Does it end up with people excusing poor behavior um, rather than making student, making sure students are accountable. Who knows? Throwing ideas out. I don't have a... Um, Nathan's come in. Thank you for contributing, Nathan. I appreciate it. Nathan's come in and saying that even experienced psychologists struggle to agree on reasons for behaviors. Expecting teachers, um, sometimes ECTs, to start to diagnose, it is crazy. This, this is a thing, and someone actually did, someone did tweet this. Let me see if I can find their tweet. And I, I didn't respond to it at the time, but let me see if I can find it. Um, where is it? It was someone who said something around... Oh, here we go. This person said, in response to me asking, what do you mean, what, what's your first thought about unmet needs? This person said, generally irrelevant. And I imagine this is the teacher. He said, generally irrelevant. They may or may not have an unmet need. Um, in the hour I'm trying to teach the class, it is incredibly unlikely I'll be able to meet their unmet needs. So whose responsibility does it become then? If we're saying that there are students unmet needs, who does it fall upon? If, if we're saying that teachers, and like Nathan saying in the chat, um, you're not going to be able to diagnose. If you teach this class once a week, twice a week, three times a week um, at most, yeah, you can't be expected to diagnose what their need is for of one people who's messing about in a class of 30. Hence why often the go-to is to try and, well, to obviously try and, deal with the behavior in a positive way. And then if it doesn't work, you then go to like lesser removal. But then if someone comes back to you and says, but 
they've got an un, you didn't meet their their needs, whatever that need is. Is that a slap in the face? I don't know. I feel like this teacher's saying, well, I'm not gonna be able to meet everyone's unmet need in an hour. I'm just trying to teach a class. So if someone's mucking about, then I need to try and prioritize the learning of the other 29. So maybe I'm not gonna be able to meet their unmet need. So telling me they've got an unmet need isn't gonna isn't gonna be helpful because I don't I'm, I'm not gonna be able to meet them, is what this teacher's saying, I believe. So it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, so, so Karen's come back in. I was going to say whose responsibility is it. Then Karen's come back in and saying it is an interesting one. Um, if a student had a pattern, then that will be picked up by pastoral. Agreed. So then, the res but then we're, we're talking about heads of year and that kind of stuff and the pastoral stuff. So then this is where we'd had that kind of debate in a previous show about when you have um, pastoral staff that don't teach, for example, their version of attending to an unmet need may be different or is likely to be different to what's appropriate or even doable in a classroom. So then that disconnect becomes a bit tricky. So then when, if you have pastoral staff that don't or haven't been in a classroom, if you know so-and-so has actually got, let SEN is, SEN is unarguable. If you've got, well, not all SEN, but I'm saying most SEN is, if they're not met as a need and it leads to behavioral issues, yeah, you can't argue that one. We're talking about poor behavior. Um, it's a difficult one. So whose responsibility is it? Pastoral staff, their responsibility to then what? Do their best to meet the need, whatever this need is, and then tell the teachers strategies or just tell the teacher what's going on and the teachers has to make reasonable adjustments. Maybe we're saying the child's got an unmet need. We don't reasonably expect you to be able to deal with it in a class for an hour with a with 29 other, 20 other students, but maybe you need to make reasonable adjustments. Maybe that's where we go with it. I don't know. Let me know your thoughts. I, I'm not even clarifying what an unmet need is. It's so vague. Um, so many different kind of elements to it, nuances to it. But people are throwing this phrase about a lot. But I don't think everyone's on the same page with it. Um, yeah, so Miss Cato Stem. This is what I think Miss Cato Stem is talking a little bit more about the kind of reasonable adjustments potentially. Miss Cato Stem has said, it's not that we have to or will be able to directly meet the unmet need in the classroom, but I think we do need to be aware of how we interact with that child for the hour that they are with us. That's true. That is true. So then that comes back to communication from pastoral to, to main, to teachers. And everyone needs to work together because I, there are, when you have a huge school, but when you, but the problem is, I guess, when you've got a huge school, is there enough communication? Only you guys will know whether there's enough communication in your school. And often you find out, and I can speak from experience that often I have to tell staff, often tell stuff after the kid has mess, messed about, oh, just so you know, there's stuff going on. And then the teacher's a bit like, uh, well, and then I feel like I've thrown them under the bus a little bit because I wish I'd told them sooner, but part of me also doesn't want to tell too many people the child's business because I'm not supposed to in my role. So it's a diff it's a delicate, delicate balance, but you definitely need to communicate, definitely need to work together. Um, but yeah, what Miss Kato said, I think it is about reasonable adjustments. And if the more you're aware about the context of a child, the more it should influence how you interact with them. But you still got to hold the bar. You just got to maybe give them a little stepladder to help them to reach it. Who knows? Right, so then have more. Let's go back to other people's responses. So again, so this is just so you know, if you're tuned in for the first time, this is Teacher Talk Radio. This is a Sunday lunch show with me, Khalil Rouse. We're talking about unmet needs because it's been on social media for a while on the kind of edu Twitter sphere. And I feel like there's a lot of people using the phrase and everyone means different things. Um, so let me get some other responses. When I asked the question about what it means to you, 
Um, someone responded, speaking as a classroom practitioner, it means try to disassociate one's emotional response to a perception of behavior. But as far as Twitter goes, it means follow the ideology and you'll see the agenda. So this person's saying, if you're if you hear about unmet needs and you see behavior in your lesson that's negative, but you are aware of the students got maybe the unmet need to feel safe, then what you need to do as a classroom practitioner is to disassociate this person saying disassociate your emotional response. Don't take it personally. I think I tweeted it later on. I was saying a lot of teachers do take misbehavior personally because it happens in your classroom, in your lesson, while you're trying to teach. And a lot of teachers do take misbehavior very personally. And, and, an, and almost like it's an indictment on either your lesson or your ability to teach or your, in, the, your ability to get the classroom to be interactive. And often that's not the case. But I know for ECTs maybe listening or listening back, most like the one thing that you learn as you get more and more experience or one thing that you can, if you're that way inclined in terms of your personality, is try not to take misbehavior in your lesson personally. Because often, often the child, if it's major misbehavior, something else has triggered this and it isn't actually your, your lesson in particular. So it's just being aware of that. I think that's important for our trainees to know. Um, trainees to know as well. Miss, not Miss Caterstone, Karen has come back in and Karen's saying that quite often I will send an email to the child's teachers saying, shower them with love and praise at this time. And generally they can read between the lines of something going on at home. Yeah, indeed. I think I do, um, I do little notes in planners that say something like, um, please be, please bear in mind that so-and-so is, is finding things difficult at the moment. I write a note like that in a planner. Um, and then I just say to the, to the child, just have that on your desk. And if something goes wrong, you can just show that or show it beforehand is even better. And it helps to, to then communicate to staff. I haven't got the time to maybe send the email. I haven't got the time to send the comms out. I can, the kids come to me, told me they're having a rough time. Something's happened. Um, they don't feel safe. They're upset, blah, 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 blah. I put something in their plan and that says, please bear in mind that so-and-so is finding it difficult. And that. First of all, that helps the child feel more secure because they're not going into a classroom um, just kind of like defenseless, essentially, because I know and you guys know listening in, as I said before, teachers often just see the behavior and deal with the behavior as you would expect because you've got 29 other kids. But for that one kid who is only messing about because their mind is elsewhere, it is difficult. Teaching's hard, man. <laughs> Teaching's hard. In this kind of balancing everything, there's so many things to think about. It's crazy. Um, so many things to think about. And yeah, so Mr. So Tommy, I'll talk. Tommy's supposed to be one of my guests at some point. Um, Tommy said on Twitter, it will always be a discussion with no winner because people don't leave room for nuance. Some see unmet needs as an excuse. Um, and then Tommy said, I behave badly at school. He thought it was because he was choosing to. And in a sense, he was. But why did he when others didn't? And then he admitted that it was actually down to low self-esteem and self-sabotage mainly, very candidly. Of Sometimes kids aren't even aware of their underlying unmet needs and what they need to feel safe and secure and engaged. Um, and we've all got to work together on it. And it's something where I think Nathan, Nathan, I wonder if Nathan's still in the studio, but Nathan in response to this question, when I asked, what, is it, what does the phrase mean to you? Um, it means we don't know in terms of we don't know what's causing this behavior, but there is something. So we're just going to call it unmet needs instead. This child has got some unmet needs. It's not helpful, is it? Sometimes. 
And then lastly, the last kind of re- response that I think took off and it had a little bit of traction was the one about, where's it gone now? Here we go. So it's, someone said that unmet needs is a phrase that is used unhelpfully, usually to criticize robust behavior systems. And it's a phrase that is flung around thoughtlessly. So I'll say it again. Apparently this phrase, um, oh, (laughs) (laughs) what's just happened there is, what's just happened there is the person that, the person whose tweet I was just reading out um, is actually in the studio, actually in the studio, Um, DBI. (laughs) And this is, to this person, I don't know what to call you. I don't don't want to call you June, DBI. I don't want to call you, but you know what's best? What you should be doing is calling in. Because what's the point in me speaking about your tweets when you are here and you can speak about them yourself? No pressure, but I think you should call in. Um, June was responding and she, uh, well, I say she, let me not make assumptions. I don't know the gender of, of DBI. Um, let me know your gender, please. Cause I just can't tell. I know it looks like an image, but people can use whatever image they like on, on Twitter. So I don't make any assumptions. But DBI said, it's a phrase that's used unhelpfully. It's usually used to criticize robust behavior systems. It's a phrase that's flung around thoughtlessly. I actually work in a school that has a fairly robust behavior system. Um, and I think people, when they hear about our emphasis on self-discipline, often I think the argument then becomes that if you deal with behavior in a, in a very disciplined fashion. By the way, June, if you want to know how to call in, if your name is June, um, it's the gray phone icon at the bottom. Just press that button. And for anyone else listening, that's how you call in. Oh, okay. So yeah, June is female, having lunch, can't call in, no worries. Um, so I work in a school with quite a robust behavior system. We have a lot of routines and expectations around behavior of our students that often people would look at and think, whoa, 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 that's a lot more, lot more discipline than I had at school. So then, often people's perception of these robust behavior systems is that um, misbehavior is dealt with very punitively. This is people's perception that misbehavior is dealt with very punitively without an adjustment made for a pupil's unmet needs. That I think is one of the arguments. But often it comes from people that don't work in these schools. And when you work in a school that has very self-disciplined, as an emphasis on self-discipline, the whole reason is so that first of all, that school is safe. And second of all, that the classroom becomes very calm and the vast majority of lessons um, take place in very calm, nur- well, nurturing environments. And then what it also enables, first of all, it reduces high level or big instances of defiance, misbehavior, violence, abuse, blah, blah, blah. It does reduce, doesn't nullify, it just reduces. And then it means that when more kind of mid to low level issues crop up, of a defiant child who seems like to just kind of like loses their mind lesson and storms out for example or a child isn't getting on with the work and they're just kind of being a bit obtrusive a bit obtuse um, it means that rather than quickly dishing out a consequence and moving on because you've got bigger things to deal with it means because we don't have that many large things to deal with we can zoom in on the issues where there's mid-level disruption and actually then say, you know what, hold on, let's dissect this a bit further. Is there something that we know that's going on with this child or do we need to then ask the question? And so what it enables when you've got the more robust, I'm gonna use DBI's phrase, when you've got the more robust behavior systems um, that are a bit more, that seem very, um, just more disciplined and the routines are very, um, maybe like they seem like you're in an army, for example, walking straight lines, all that kind of stuff. 
what it enables is the more lower level issues rather than just being given a detention and not um, looking at the, the, the cause of the issue because you've got bigger things to deal with. It means you actually have time to look at what's going on. So when you have potential unmet needs, you can do it. So swings and roundabouts, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> Who knows? Listen, what we're going to do, we're going to take a break. I've spoken enough about unmet needs. And the more I say unmet needs, the less it sounds like an actual phrase. It sounds just like I'm saying gibberish now. But when we come back after the ads, we're going to talk about challenging parents. Um, all of us in the room that work in schools, of course, we're not going to we're not going to talk about our current schools. We're also not going to talk about any parents in particular. We're just going to talk about hypothetical parents that we imagine we will become come across in our in our teaching careers and how best to how best to deal with it. Thank you. Um, DBI said, I don't want to call you DBI June. Who knows? Um, June saying she agrees with everything I just said. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, June. Um, I think, listen, it's difficult to to embed a really disciplined culture in a school and it requires a concerted effort from everyone. And I find, I think it's most difficult if you've got a lot of kids that's been ingrained in a different way of behaving in school and then someone else comes in trying to change everything. That is hard. I'm fortunate to work in a school where we've been disciplined from the ground up. We've only been around for a few years. Um, so we've been, we're fortunate. It has to be some, I've, it has to be something you set up from the outset because trying to change a school that's got four, five, six year groups of, and I've just, Become, become very used to behaving a certain way. Wowzers, I don't envy anyone that tries to, to go into that position. Um, right, cool. Let's take a break for the ads and the news and our sponsors. On the other side of this, start thinking, please, about what, what type of parent is the most challenging? What type of parent? Is it the confrontational parent? Is it the high expectations parent? Is it the parent who whose child can do no wrong? Is it the parent who knows is, is it a parent who's a teacher <laughs> are those the most challenging parents? what when you think of a challenging parent what is the type of parent you think of and then what advice would you give to maybe a, a less experienced teacher about how to deal with parents like that because it came from a tweet from someone who asked are there scripts for dealing with challenging parents someone asked and then it was actually pete one of my twitter acquaintances said that it should become a topic of the show so what does a challenging parent mean to you on the other side of this we will discuss debate and i haven't got a third word so we're just going to end it there this episode of teachers talk radio has been made possible with support from witherslack group the uk's leading provider of sen education and care they're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn. U-P-L-E-A-R-N If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion. 
for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Following reports earlier this week of the UCAS announcement that 2020 to 2021 saw a surge in applicants to university from students from disadvantaged backgrounds, one of Greater Manchester's universities revealed data showing that nearly 99% of its students last year fell into one or more of the five core underrepresented groups. In a report in the Manchester Evening News, the University of Bolton highlights figures showing that last year, 28% of applicants were from disadvantaged areas, up from 17% in 2013. University bosses say that these figures show that the university is helping students climb the social and economic ladder. The university's Vice-Chancellor, Professor George E. Holmes, said, The University of Bolton is proud to have one of the most diverse and inclusive student populations in the UK. Widening participation projects take place across the UK and are designed to improve access, success and progression for underrepresented groups in higher education. The Birmingham Live News website reports on Birmingham City Council's leader's plea to leave Trojan Horse in the past. It follows calls by the Muslim Council of Britain, as well as teachers and governors, for a public inquiry into events that unfolded in Birmingham schools in 2014 after concerns were expressed that the events caused lasting and negative impact on local Muslims and perceptions of their faith. There are also calls for a public apology to those caught up in the affair. Trojan Horse was the name given to an alleged plot by hardline Islamists to take over some Birmingham schools. The alleged plot was revealed by the Birmingham Mail after an anonymous letter claimed dirty tricks were being used to oust non-Muslim staff from city schools. Four separate inquiries were launched at the time, including probes by Birmingham City Council, the Department for Education and Ofsted. No evidence of extremism or of a plot were found. Birmingham City Council's deputy leader, Councillor Bridget Jones, in charge of city schools in 2014, says the city has long since moved on, whilst others claim the issue is unresolved and that investigations at the time were rooted in Islamophobia. The issue has been raised again following a podcast by the New York Times probing the origins of the letter which kick-started the investigations. In the Channel Island of Guernsey, plans for a new sixth-form centre and the closing of one of the island's state high schools have been delayed by a year. The new secondary model had been due to start by September 2024, but the Committee for Education, Sport and Culture said the decision to delay was made after talking to the construction industry. Education President Andrea Dudley-Owen said in a BBC News report, it's more important that we get it right rather than rushing to meet an arbitrary deadline. It is another delay for parents, pupils and staff on what has been a decade-long process of transforming secondary education on the island, a process that has seen promises made by committees which have then not come to fruition. 
In a research paper published on the FizzOrg website, it suggested that pre-primary education played a protective role against COVID learning losses in sub-Saharan Africa. In a study of more than 2,600 children in Ethiopia, researchers found that among pupils who entered primary education immediately after schools reopened, learning losses were far less severe if they'd been in pre-primary education prior to the pandemic. The learning deficit among children without pre-primary experience was four times greater. However, the study also shows that pre-primary education was also the most neglected part of the Ethiopian government's COVID education response. Full details of the study can be found on the FISORG website. The study was commissioned through the World Bank's Early Learning Partnership and undertaken by the University of Cambridge, Addis Ababa University and the Ethiopian Policy Studies Institute. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's Safe for Internet Week with the official day being on Tuesday the 8th of February. This year, the UK Safe for Internet Centre is questioning whether gaming online is all fun and games. They ask young people to explore respect and relationships in online gaming. A lot of schools may be having drop-down days and you may be expected to deliver an online safety lesson. This is great, but are you confident in your knowledge? There's nothing worse than having to teach a lesson out of your comfort zone, especially when you're discussing a topic where the learners may know more than the teacher. Saferinternet.org.uk, the brains behind Safer Internet Day, have come to the rescue with a series of films under the heading of virtual assemblies on their website. Starting with a story about in-app purchases getting out of hand for three to seven year olds, and then for seven to 11 and 11 to 18s, having a discussion on online behavior and respect. This resource is informative and will allow those of us that are less confident to play the film and facilitate a discussion. As always, if you're going to use an online resource, make sure you've watched it first to make sure it's appropriate for your pupils. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back. I, you know, I'm a massive fan of the uh, the length of the ads and the sponsors and the news. It gives me a nice little break because I talk a lot and usually I lose my voice. Thank you very much, Dr. Jez in the chat saying I rock. I appreciate it. Dr. Jed, listen, it's your first time listening in. You have no connection to the teaching world, but you stuck with it throughout the whole time. So I appreciate it. Hopefully um, you find the show um, entertaining as it can be in the background while you do whatever you need to do on this fine Sunday, I say afternoon, but I don't even know what time it is over there in Canada. So the next segment of the show for the last kind of half an hour is talking about advice for teachers who maybe are less experienced on how to deal with challenging parents. Difficulty is, as always, when you start any kind of any kind of topic, you need to define your terms. And I think people obviously people define challenging parents in, a, in different ways. So fun, do you know what P just has pastoral P has excellent timing because the person that asked me to even do this or no suggested that i should do this is pete and he just rocks up in the studio very recently um just as i'm about to talk about it so my question to you guys in the room or the studio whatever you want to call it is what even is the most like what is the biggest challenge when you have a challenging parent because i know instinctively when i start in my role i've often had to deal with um confrontations with parents 
because that's just the nature of the beast sometimes because often when you meet when you meet the parent their child sometimes has done things well has been in the wrong maybe so then the parent often comes from parents can sometimes come from more confrontation if they disagree with the sanction or if they disagree with the the, the kind of the sequence of events that have been, that have happened, how it was investigated, who knows? So often I have to deal with more confrontational parents and that poses a challenge. But then when I ask the question on Twitter about what they, what people define as um, most challenging parents, it was actually June, um, who's no longer, I don't think June's in the studio anymore, but June was in the studio a bit earlier. June was saying that her type of challenging parent is the one who, where's it gone now? She said the most challenging ones are the ones who appear supportive but then won't or can't support their child in doing the right thing. That poses a challenge. So the parent that talks a good talk, but then when we're looking at them like, help us, help us, just help us, we need your help. And they just can't support their child or won't be able to support their child or, or for whatever reason, that could be a breakdown of their own relationship with the child. It could be that there's, they just, yeah, maybe the child's not got the, their respect for the parent. Maybe the parent just, the, the the home life just isn't very conducive to, to, I don't know, reinforcing whatever expectations we want. Who knows? But that poses a challenge. How do you deal with that? That's not easy. But the parent says all the right things. And I think I've, in a previous, in previous jobs, everything else I've dealt with parents where they say, right, yep, I'll sort them out. But then they just, they just can't. So then you'll look and then they come to school and they cause issues. And then you, you let the parents know and the parents talk the right talk, but then they can't do anything at home also. That's a challenge. It's not the type of challenging parent I instinctively think about, but that is a parent posing a challenge because where do we go from here if they're not behaving for us and they're not behaving for you at home? Where do we go? Where do we go? Because if they listen to you and you brought them into the world, um, what, what, what what are we supposed to do with them? <laughs> that, I don't know how many of you that resonates with, but that happens, man. That happens. How do you deal with that? So what does a challenging parent mean to you? Um, Oh, the Dr. Jed said me 6 a.m. in Canada, thank you. And Dr. Jed said I should let the students call in. It's not really a, a platform for students. I imagine um, I imagine students who, the students could be listening, who knows? But this is Teacher Radio. And one thing I should say, let me just make sure I get all the formal the formality out of the way. If this is your first time listening to Teach Talk Radio, or first time listening to me or whatever else, and you want to just find out more about Teach Talk Radio, then head to ttradio.org, and then you'll find a website with all the different hosts. I'm just one of many, many hosts on Teach Talk Radio. My show is every week on a Sunday, but there are shows on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, throughout the morning, afternoons, and nights. Um, and also on Twitter, we've got at ttradio2022. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Khalil, K-A-L-I-L, underscore r91 and you'll find out more about my own kind of comment social commentary and also stuff to do with the show and anything else i feel like talking about um so in the chat miss kato stem has said the challenging parents are the ones that want more regular feedback than the school usually provides the ones that want the updates how's my child getting on how are they getting on but then we're like yeah, you need to wait for parents evening but then they're in between parents evenings they're coming back and do you blame, I don't blame, do you know what? I don't blame them. And I'm only now becoming a parent myself. Well, I say becoming, I've only become a parent recently. And I've not got a child who's in secondary school, nor have I got a child who's in primary school yet. He's too young. But I feel like the more I think about it, I would want to know how they're getting on. But then I'm a teacher, so then I'd appreciate that, they've, that every teacher has got hundreds and hundreds of other kids they're also dealing with. So there's that kind of asymmetry there of expectation from the parent who only thinks about their child communicating with a teacher who's got hundreds, <laughs> hundreds upon hundreds of other kids to think about as well. And that asymmetry 
is a challenge to deal with because you don't want to kind of palm the parent off, but you also can't set yourself up to maintain the kind of communication that's too frequent to be manageable. So I think you need to be honest, but I think you also need to give back. I think there needs to be kind of a give and a take in that situation. I think you need to, I think, and I also, for anyone that's listening that has kind of a challenge with a parent, my first piece of advice and like my first, first, first piece of advice is if you want to kind of hash out a disagreement or kind of there's an issue to be dealt with, do it in person. That is my first and foremost, most kind of like gold standard piece of advice because emails back and forth are not the best ways to deal with any kind of issue, whether whether there's a disagreement with a parent or there's an asymmetry or there's a misunderstanding. Call them. If you can't, even better, meet them. That's my first. I know everyone's busy, but genuinely, if you've got the time, meet them because you realize, because everything gets lost in in emails. Tones get misconstrued. Just like when you have tweets, everything else, tone gets misconstrued. Um, people like, and then you have all that time and then all you, your people type in, you've, you've probably received those essays from a parent where they just, they just spout off hundreds upon hundreds of different issues in one long thesis and they send it to your email address and they expect to, what they expect to a thesis back, that's not manageable. So in those situations, I'd be doing a quick reply saying, thank you for all the concerns. I'm more than happy to speak about them in person. I just think that email is not the most appropriate form of communication for this. So please let me know when you'd like to come in and arrange a time. I think genuinely, if you're, if you're listening back to the show, wanting to know how to deal with a difficult, challenging parent, do it in person. And also, first and foremost as well, if you are an experience, then yes, get, a more inex- get your head of department or the head of year or whoever to come in and support. Um, so then, yeah, so then Miss Kato Sem said the parent that wants more regular feedback is frustrating and challenging. Miss Karen has agreed with that. Um, Karen says my most challenging parents are those that email daily. I wonder how much they, yeah, they, it's difficult because you don't want to, you don't want to air the email, which means ignore for people that maybe don't um, speak the same parlance as me. You don't want to ignore the email. And I know a lot of schools have expectations around you must reply to every email in some shape or form, even if it's a holding reply. So you do get parents that email regularly, but that is their world. Their child is their world. So I'm not surprised there. But they, I think a lot of parents aren't teachers. have never been teachers. So they don't appreciate what we have to do as well. It's difficult. Um, when they email things like, can you check in on so-and-so today? They're running late. Did they arrive okay? All that kind of stuff. Is that where you need to start diverting to admin? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but then I, I imagine, I think Karen's works in pastoral. So you can't even divert. It's you. It's you. <laughs> you can't even divert because it's kind of your role. Um, but maybe we need to, do you need to reframe their expectations, honestly, without them feeling like they're being palmed off? Is that the better way to go about it than to get them expecting that you're at their beck and call via email, um, eight days, eight hours a day? Who knows? Oh, right. Next type of of challenging parent we've had in the comment from Pete, Pete saying in quotation marks, my child doesn't lie to me and they wouldn't do that. Those parents who, they, the child they see at home is not the child that we see at school. That poses a challenge. And in those situations, I think you need as a teacher to not act like, I think you don't, it needs to be like data led. It needs to be, it needs, you needs to be grounded in reports. It, it can't, you don't want to turn it into a back and forth of us against parent where we're saying these things and it's only me saying it and then the parents batting it back. 
you need the evidence. So if you have if you have an issue where a child is behaving in a way that the parent just doesn't believe, then you need to go in with the evidence and you need to present it in a neutral fashion, not in a kind of see I told you so, just here's what's going on. And even better, even better if you can get if you can get the child prior to the meeting to admit to whatever had happened or to write their own statement where they admitted to X, Y, Z, there's better evidence as well. Take it away from you. Take the spotlight off you as a teacher because it's not about me, the teacher. It's about the child first and foremost. And this is let's look at this holistically. Let's not get drawn into a, a really focused discussion, just you and me. Let's look at what other teachers are saying. Let's look at what the data says. Let's look at the positives. Let's look at the negatives. Let's bring it all to the table rather than getting into back and forth because that's that's dangerous. Um, it ends up just turning into an argument. Um, I do have actually some websites that have given some advice. Currently, it's just me giving my advice, but there are some websites I'm going to go through in a moment. Miss Cato Stems come back and said, once worked in a school where the parent would come in and demand meetings with the head teacher over very minor things. Um, she said that she was ahead of year and he was never happy to meet with me as he always wanted to speak to the head. I would hope in that situation that the head teacher again would then just re, just exp well, I hope they would explain realistic expectations and how the school works um you would hope that they're well not every school's got everything codified but if you need to codify things that might help and then so you can disseminate that to, to parents and say if you want to organize a meeting this is the this is a proper procedure in order this is a proper procedure to do it because if you don't tell that to parents then i'm not surprised they're turning up but that's of course not acceptable i've had we've had parents in in schools i've worked in the past that have just rocked up and said i want to see so and so and we have to direct admin team with a script essentially to say that the we appreciate your concern. We're more than happy to arrange a meeting with you. However, this is not the correct way of going about it. You either send an email or blah, 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 and then we'll pass it on and then we'll get back to you. I guess that's, but that's a system thing, isn't it? Miss <laughs> Kato Stems responded saying he knew the procedure, but he lived across the road. So I'd rock up quite often. <laughs> I'd, I'd, you need to just turn them, turn them away, turn them away. I wonder if they were coming with, um, sounds like they're just coming in just because they just want to find out things rather than on their kind of high horse, on a kind of confrontational tip. Who knows? Um, even though he knows procedure, you don't want to bar a parent, but I think that is the last straw, isn't it? You've got the parent barring procedures where if, if it gets to the point where you're just not listening, then you go down that route, but no one wants to go down there, but that is there. Um, oh, fair enough. <laughs> Miss Cato Stems come back in and said he was confrontational and did up getting banned. So there we go. If they don't listen, those who those who don't hear must feel, as my Caribbean um, ancestors, elders would say, those who care an ear must feel. So he didn't hear, and he got banned. That was a poor accent, by the way. That was best, That was worse than my Rasta mouse that I did for my child when I read him his book. You can trust me now. That was an awful, awful accent. Um, so either way, we go through the chat. So then Pastor Pete, Pete, has, <laughs> Pete's come back with some advice and this, this is the next bit so let's say we've got ects listening on they've gone into a meeting with a parent that they've heard is quite inverted commas challenging or difficult we need to start giving them some advice i want this to be useful to someone who's listening who wants to search difficult challenging parents and they hear some advice so pete's come back and said make sure there are never any surprises that's very important over communicate and ensure evidence is in use to inform every decision this is when you have a situation. Yeah, I think one of the things that can crop up sometimes is if a kid's been misbehaving for a long period of time, 
Um, and then the teacher calls a meeting further down the line. And in the meeting, they say things like, oh, like they've been doing this for ages. And the parents are like, hold on. Why do I, why is this the first time I'm hearing about it? That's a problem. So maybe that's what Pete's saying about, that's an example of making sure there's never any surprises. You want to, you want to have a meeting with a parent where either the parent come, everyone comes in with as much knowledge of the situation as possible. So you should be kind of informed. If someone's an issue in your lesson, um, the first time they're an issue, you want to be communicating that to parents. If you're not communicating this to parents and you're letting it all pile up, pile up, pile up, pile up, and then you call a meeting three weeks later and say, oh, by the way, they've been a pain for three weeks. You're going to cause an issue because the parent's going to say, why haven't you told me? And then what's your response? <laughs> what's your response? Maybe you were busy, but if it were that much of an issue for you to call a, call a meeting about it, then you don't, you don't want there to be any surprises. You want to be covering your own back as well. Covering your own back as well. So if you are if you are a teacher experiencing some issues with with behavior of a particular student, keep parents informed before bringing them in or bring them in at the outset of the poor behavior. That, those are two options. Don't just leave them in the dark and then spring it on them three, four weeks later. Um, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Then Pete's gone on to say, Oh, indeed. So then school policy, this was more about the complaints procedures. So Pete's saying that your school should have a policy about complaints and it should include if you've got any kind of what is called vexatious complaints. So again, if you're a teacher and you've received an email, as often the case where a te you're the port of call, maybe you're the form tutor and a parent has sent an email that kind of with a barrage of complaints, you need to most, the best thing to do in that situation is send a holding email that says that you will now you need to collaborate or or speak to someone more senior and then someone will get back to you um but then please don't do that thing where you say someone's going to get back to you today and then set yourself up to fail because no one gets back to them today but i think you can set a reasonable time frame i think that's useful but it needs to be a reasonable time frame but i think holding emails are good rather than trying to fight fire with fire i think if you've got if there has been a complaint you need to seek advice but then you also need to refer well, speech line manager will most likely refer you to the complaints procedures and the proper way of who to pass it on to. If in doubt, if you are less experienced and you receive a complaint email, best thing to do is pass it on and get some support rather than trying to deal with it all yourself. Do not operate in a vacuum. Um, then further on, Karen's come back and said, for teachers, so advice that Karen said is triple check your policies. Um, for parents, triple check school policies and situation where parents feel oh and then this is a challenging situation where parents feel their child has been unfairly treated policy listen i you need to if you were honest well if you think about parents how many parents read the policies not many i don't think i don't think i don't think parents read the policies but i think as a teacher you should know the policy and, and also what karen's saying is if there's been an incident and your policy says that when we have incidents, we investigate, we carry this out, we do this, we do that, we do that. And you go into the meeting, having not done that, that is of course an issue. So make sure Karen's saying, make sure you've checked the policy on this and seen what we have said we are going to do. Make sure you do that. And then if you need to bring the policy in, bring the policy in and outline what we've done um, and use that to back yourself up. Don't feel like it's just you against them. You are only one representative of the school and the school should, is bigger than you as a teacher. So the school should have policies governing as many different aspects of school life as possible. So draw upon those as well. So, yes, yeah, so I've got, I've actually got, um, 
what have I got? A, a website with some advice, which you guys are giving a lot of advice as well. And this website's kind of added in some more. Someone's actually put some more in the chat. Hold on one second. Um, so yeah, so then this advice, the first point is, huh, it's called 12 ways to deal with the difficult parents. And I'm annoyed already because literally it is called 12 ways to deal with a difficult parents. Like that annoys me. I'm, I'm actually tempted to close down this whole link already because I've just read the title. There's a grammatical error in the title. That's annoyed me already. But point number one, it says, is make sure you're not the problem. Interesting. Um, they said, make sure you're not the problem or even half the problem. Um, and then it says, by being rational, you can identify exactly what their concerns are and solve them proactively before they become an issue. Um, other times it can seem like no matter how, how many times you solve the problem, new ones arrive. Make sure you're not the problem. So I think, I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means to you guys, but you, de you need to reflect sometimes on your, I think if you're talking about misbehavior, sometimes you need to reflect on your practice. Maybe it's saying, I don't know, maybe it's saying that maybe you're doing something in your practice that you can adapt um, that can suit the needs, the unmet needs <laughs> of this child, maybe. Um, because you don't want to be in that situation where maybe it's a child with um, a what we call like an individual educational plan or a pupil passport, whatever you want to call it. And on that pupil passport, it says strategies that work. If you're going into a meeting with one of these parents, make sure you know the strategies, make sure you've been trying the strategies. Don't go into that meeting having, and then you get, they kind of, they throw up strategies on the pupil passport and you're there sitting there realizing that you didn't actually do them. So that's another thing. So Karen, I think, was saying, check your policies. I'm saying if it's about a particular child, um, speak to colleagues. And if they have in, if individual health, individual, if they have EHCPs or they have um, people passports, then check those and make sure you actually do that. That should be standard, though. But one thing to check before you go into a meeting. Other advice, it says reach out first. It says be preemptive, be positive in the first instance. It says not to patronize. And it says stay in your lane. Interesting. Who wrote that? I don't know if I, these are interesting points. I don't know what you guys think about it. It said, don't patronize. Um, it says, don't pretend to be their best friend, nor should you have that kind of nipping problems in the bud tone. Um, interesting. It says, we're not selling them anything. I don't know if I like this website. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to close this link down. I don't like it at the moment. I don't like their, their advice. I think my advice on this kind of thing is ask the parent what they want from the meeting. Um, what's the parent's ideal solution? What do they want from us? I think giving them a, just like you would with a child, give the parents an opportunity to speak, come at it from a level playing field where you say, we have the child at the center here. We both want what's best for the child. What do you want from us? And then we can communicate what we need from you as a parent. Then you find your middle ground, you find your compromise. Um, you don't want to come into a meeting and just do all the talking and not let the parents speak. And I think one thing also that actually resonates very, very, um, resonates strongly with me and my kind of aspect is if you've made a mistake and it's a genuine mistake, please apologize. Apologize. No one's above an apology. Um, if you're a teacher or a member of SLT or the head teacher in, and you have made a mistake and you realize in the, in the conversations with the parent that something was overlooked or there's been an oversight or you did make an error, then apologize for it. Because sometimes that's all, that's all, that's sometimes that's what people need to hear. Um, especially as a parent, who's seen their child being, I don't know, their child's now upset because of an issue that wasn't dealt with correctly. And you look back and you reflect, say, you know what? We mishandled that. I think it's, it's really important that if that is the case, that you as a professional 
hold your hands up and you humble yourself and you apologize for it. That's one of my piece of advice. If you have made a mistake, genuine mistake, then definitely apologize. Um, other things, it's saying it's got some advice here. It does say establish your authority. Interesting. So, and then this, this website goes on to say, um, you need to be confident and establish your authority in a difficult situation. Look them in the eye. Um, show that you're actually interested in what they're saying. Show that you're concerned about the situation, that you're listening actively. And you need to give them their kind of undivided attention. And we need to also be confident as well. And sometimes having someone else in the room with you can help with that. If you're naturally a little bit less confident, then maybe bringing in your head of department um, can help. But I think just passing the buck to a head of department isn't the way, even if you're an ECT. I think it's really important if you've just started out and you have some difficulties with a with a student. I think it is important if you're going to have a meeting, um, bring, bring in someone who's more, more experienced, that can help. Pete's come back in and said, interesting points. Um, conceding ground sometimes is a very powerful tool and improved credibility. We are human. Agreed. I've done it recently. I'm not going to talk about specifics, but I'm I'm more than more than happy to say in a recent parent meeting, I had to concede that I had made a mistake. And the chain, the meeting changed tone immediately after I'd done that, because then it was, you know what? I apologize. Let's now look for what am I going to do? What can we do as a school to make sure everything around your child is 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 how you want it to be in within reason, of course. And that was that was quite powerful because I could have gone it and I know I could have gone at a different angle and just batted it back. And then it just creates a conflict. And who we're trying to work together. And everyone's trying to, we're trying to triangulate school, community and parents all around the child. So the meeting needs to feel like that. And you want to you want to establish common grounds, common interests, um, which most, most cases is a child's best interest, of course. Um, other advice here, it says, show empathy is one piece of advice here. Um, and it's saying, I'm so sorry that it goes on and says, saying the words, I'm so sorry that happened is effective and it can convey a great deal. It can show that you listen, it shows that you're concerned. Um, it shows that you acknowledge what's happened and that you're trying to establish your rapport um, because parents come, parents often come to meetings very emotionally charged and they need to have their feet in the same way that are in, in our roles and we deal with emotionally charged children, we validate feelings, everything else. You sometimes need to do that with an emotionally charged parent. Because if they're emotionally charged, you need to remain calm, you need to validate, you need to make sure you hear them um, rather than just being really, really kind of formulaic and robotic in your response. I think in previous schools, I've observed meetings where I felt like the, 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 the teacher has been quite robotic rather than being human. And I think that was just, it created an issue. It created an issue. The parent wasn't looking for solution, solution, solution. That parent was looking for empathy and the parent was looking for understanding and the parent was looking for, wanting to know that their child, that, that the schools actually had the best child's interests at heart. Swings and roundabouts. Um, next piece of advice, only got a few more minutes, is it says use and show concrete examples. Um, and I think this ties back to those kind of instances where the parent sees something different to what we see at school. So if you can, if you come to the, the meeting with evidence, I think it's useful. If you get more advice or guidance, no, sorry. If you get insight from other teachers that deal with the same pupil, I think that's useful as well. So that's quite important. And what's another one? This got some, oh, it goes on. Oh, it says, realize everyone makes mistakes. 
And another one it says is speak with a low voice. Interesting. <laughs> speak with a low voice. It says parents often feel they must go to bat for their child. I imagine that means like go to war. Um, in many cases, the parents feel that their child has been unfairly pointed out by the teacher and wants a situation corrected. Too often, they ask too little questions to get the full story and make assumptions, often to the detriment of the teacher. That is right. That does happen. That is right. Parents often only get their own child's side of the story and they come in all guns blazing because what they've heard from the child is X, Y, Z when we know the rest of the alphabet. But you need to communicate, you need to let the parents say their piece. But I think you also need to then, in the same kind of tone I'm speaking with now, is you need to say, right, what your child has told you, based on the investigation that we carried out, is not the full truth. We spoke to bloody blood, different, we spoke to a number of different students. We got different accounts of events and what is the case. We even spoke to your child as well. And what they told us, there was more to it. So I'm just going to outline that. And then we can, once we've all got the, the full facts in front of us, we can move forward and think how we're going to solve this or ensure it's not going to happen again. So it says, yeah, it says parents often, the article goes on to say that parents are often looking for justice before the teachers had the opportunity to provide additional information or explain the situation. One technique that is helpful is for the teacher to lower their voice. Upset parents often talk at an elevated level and in an accusatory nature. It is quite often for the person on the receiving end of the conversation to become nervous. When one becomes nervous, coherent sentences are often lost. A person's voice can become shaky and lack confidence. With the lowered volume, the shakiness in the voice will become less obvious. In addition, the decreased volume forces the other party to focus more closely on what's being said. Instead of focusing on their needs or concerns, the upset parent must challenge additional energy to listen to what the other person is saying. Furthermore, the upset parent will start noticing how loud they are speaking and how this will not benefit the conversation. That's a nice paragraph. I think it's right. I think when you've got, you need to let the parents vent sometimes, but then when you respond to them, it needs to be a complete neutral, not neutral, calm, lowered tone. And then you, that's how you say it. Because telling a parent to calm, telling a parent to calm down, that's not because all that, you know what will happen you tell a parent to calm down. They'll say, don't tell me to calm down. <laughs> that's what will happen. If you've got a parent who's in the throes of it, telling them to calm, just like a child, telling them to calm down is not the way to get someone to calm down. Just like shouting at a class, telling them to be quiet is not the best way to get them to be, get them to be quiet. You have to model it. So model the tone that you want the parent to interact with and slowly but surely you can bring them down. But I like the idea of, focusing because when you come back with fire and fire meets fire they don't hear you if you lower the tone they have to focus on listening i like that um ah nice so then this ah peter said balance of probability is a very useful thing it's a good phrase and it's one thing that i've used and i think other pastoral staff have used as well because i think if you explain to a parent the full process and you say what we do we have to investigate. We have to look at evidence. We need to speak to so-and-so. Then we need to take a decision in the moment on the balance of probability based on all the evidence that we've seen in front of us. And if you outline that and you explain that candidly to a parent, they then understand. Or they have a better chance of understanding. And then so Pete's gone on to say, it allows us to walk through the decision-making process more likely than not. All that kind of language is better than saying they did it because if the kid says no i didn't 
then it's like you're, you're, there's no, you're at an impasse. So what you have to say, change. So what Pete's saying, which is great advice, he's saying change the angle. Don't make it a concrete, we know we did it. Unless you've got video footage. If you've got video footage, then cool. If it's just on what people have said, then no one knows for certain, but you need to communicate that we took in the evidence and we made some decisions. We spoke about it as a team. We spoke to the child, blah, blah, blah. And we had to make a decision on likelihood. Uh, we believe it's more likely that X, Y, Z happens. And then the kid can still deny it, but then you can come, you, can, you have a fallback argument. You say, no, well, unfortunately, balance of probabilities. Um, then Pete's gone. If things are escalating, nice. So then Pete said, if things do escalate, don't be afraid to step out and allow someone else to pick up the thread. If you feel like you're not capable of having that lower tone or that calm, or if you feel like you might get more emotional than is appropriate for the meeting, then I think it is the phrase, I've never had to do it myself. So I wonder if anyone in the chat has had to do that themselves, step out. I wonder how you phrased it for the parent. Um, but um, I think you can say, oh, I think the, um, I feel like this, the, the conversation at the moment is taking a turn that's not the most conducive. So I think it's best at the moment that we take some time and then I'll come back in or my colleague will come back in in, the, in a couple of minutes and we can, we'll pick up there. Or I've been in a meeting where it's been said, you know what, now is actually not the time to have this meeting. Clearly emotions are still running high. So what we'll do is take your child and then we'll reconvene tomorrow after you've had time to process blah, 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 blah. That is a strategy that can work as well. Don't feel like everything needs to be solved in that meeting there and there, because if it's not going well, then cut the meeting. Cut, cut. We're, we're the professionals, we're in the school. You need to cut the meeting. If it's not going well, and why that I mean is just a battle, then cut the meeting and say, we need to come. If, if, if there's too much emotions, people are too, too highly strung, then reconvene at a later date. That's also a worthwhile strategy as well. And there's no shame in that whatsoever. Um, Karen said, yes. And I've got no idea, Karen, what you were talking about <laughs> or in response to. A lot of people joining the studio. Holly, thank you for joining. A lot of people joining at the end of the show. I wish I could keep going on. Dale, thank you for liking the show. I wish I could keep going on. Um, indeed, Pete came in and said, safeguarding conversations are so much simpler than behavior conversations. You say that, Pete, but imagine what about those safeguarding conversations where the, the cause of the safeguarding issue are the parents? That's not easy. <laughs> that is not easy. Um, and some like, and then, yeah, those, are, those aren't easy, man. Um, but you have to come and you need to then clarify to parents that our, we owe a duty of care to the child. So therefore we need to investigate things um, and we need to take things seriously and everything else. You have to go down that kind of route from a safeguarding perspective. But yeah, behavioral ones, I feel they get a bit more, they're a bit more, they are more tricky. Definitely. But thank you everyone that was liking the show. I feel like there's more to this. I feel like we I feel like we can get some uh, what, what I want from this show, ideally, when I thought about this pastoral CPD clip, my vision was case studies. My vision is people kind of send in either via Twitter and say, I've got this issue going on in school, pastoral issue, because that's that's my area of expertise. <laughs> well, I say it, relative expertise. I'm not gonna profess to being like an out and out expert. Um my vision is people would tweet saying, do you know what? Something's going on um, in my school at the moment that I want to deal with. Do you have any advice? And then we deal with it in a pastoral CPD clinic. That's my vision. But we haven't really, it hasn't come off the ground yet. We're still in the elementary stage, but that is the vision for the show. 
So maybe one day in another year's time. By the way, it's a year since I've done these shows. I started on 20th of February, 2021. Not that anyone cares, but I care. Um, what was I going to say? That's the vision. So maybe one day we'll get to a point where people send in their, they say, oh, pastoral CPD. I've got this going on. I've got a child going on this. I've got this, I've got this, I've got that. Any advice? And we'll pick it up in the pastoral CPD clinic. One day, guys, one day. That's my hope and my vision. Um, oh, thanks, Holly. Holly says congrats. And then Karen sent me a happy anniversary cake. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's been a long year. It's been a long, long year. It's been a weird year. And I plan to stay with Teach Talk Radio. It's fun. I enjoy talking to you a lot. I've got the nice little kind of core group of avid listeners. And I appreciate you guys a lot because all it is is listening to me ramble on for 18 pages. So thank you for everyone that's been there for the last year. Onwards and upwards. Maybe one day we'll get to the pastoral CPD clinic that I have envisaged. Maybe one day. Either way, we'll end it there, guys. Thank you very much. I'll be back on next week. I think I've got an actual scheduled guest next week as well, which is wonderful. Miss um, <laughs> Kato Sam got the uh, the Friends reference. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. We'll be back next week. I am Khalil Rouse. This has been the Sunday Lunch Show. Over and out. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, P, I've just seen your response. In response to me talking about the safeguard and stuff, he's right. He's, he came back and said he accepted it, but um, being able to fall back on kind of the the, the safeguarding documents, this, and also, yeah, he's right, because you can, often in safeguarding, you you refer things to external agencies anyway, um, rather than trying to tackle things all in-house, because it's not our area of expertise. So I think when you, if you refer, often you have situations where you have difficult situations where the parents are the cause of safeguarding concerns. Often, when you make the referrals, then it takes decision-making out of your hands and then you've done what you can for the child and you've abided by your duty of care rather than getting into, it's not a job to talk to parents about their potential abuse. Um, anyways, that's a weird, really weird way to end the show. <laughs> On a more positive note, have a lovely return to work. Who those of you that are going back to work tomorrow. See you guys. Adios.